Muhammad asked his wives to accompany him on a journey. And on their way back to Medina, one of his wives was left behind. She says that they had stopped. She went out to use the restroom. As she's returning, she realizes that she had dropped her necklace and goes back to find it. She finds her necklace, and as she returns back to the caravan, it's gone. And they had left without her. And so she was there in the desert alone, probably going to die, except a young man comes on a camel named Safwan, who puts her onto the camel and takes her back into the city and rescues her. And as she approached the city, the rumors started, and the accusations of adultery began. And this young woman, a wife of Muhammad, was accused of adultery with this young soldier, Safwan. Now, she isn't killed. She actually becomes one of the most influential people in the beginnings of the entire Muslim world. Muslims, Christians, and, and the, the zombie. zombie apocalypse. Muslims, Christians, and the zombie apocalypse. And the uh, zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're talking about Aisha today, and uh, I just had a you know a few questions, probably that everyone else has too, if you've never really heard of Aisha, which I don't know much about her at all, except that she was young, like we just said. So tell me. Uh, you know, like, how did everything go? Like, how did uh, Muhammad meet her? Uh, was he in power at this time? I mean, just everything surrounding it was an arranged marriage, or what, what? What was going on there? Right. And so you have at the very beginning this guy, a friend of Muhammad named Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr becomes the first leader of the Islamic community after the death of Muhammad. Abu Bakr had a daughter. Um, she was, like I said, the the debate still is out as to how old she was. Um, according to her, she was seven. According to others, she was six. But the the marriage was arranged between Abu Bakr, her father, and Muhammad when she was very young, um, still a child. And then the, the controversy that has sort of swallowed her life is that um, the consummation of the marriage happened, I'm assuming, upon her first menses, which was she was quite young. Um, the accounts go from anywhere from nine to 13. So that, wow. that has been the thing that has sort of uh, dominated the conversation because this has been what's been used as a uh, sort of legal um, way for child marriage to happen in Islam. And so Aisha oh. has been, you know, the center of all of yeah. that controversy. It's interesting because there's precedent for her to, you know, show free, uh, freedom for women. But then in the other sense, you just said there's precedent for child marriage. Right. And not only that, but she lies at the center of the first, uh, the Islamic world would be fitna, like a civil war within Islam. She is, she is right there at the beginnings of huh. that civil war. And so the whole story ties back to her uh, being closest 
to Muhammad, um, she says of herself, now granted, when you're looking at history, you have what you call hagiographic literature, like, um, oh, what's the Greek that's, word? That's hagios. Word. It's, it's that Greek word. Remember Greek? Mm-hmm. Um, hagios, remember Greek? the holy, yeah. <laughs> saint. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Saintly literature. And so you always kind of take those biographies with a grain of salt because we tend to exaggerate them over time and make them out to be more than they were. Uh, legend. And so, right. They have right. A, a little bit of legend okay. to them. But she is referenced as the mother of the believers. And uh, there's really three women that are in Islam that are probably the most influential. One is uh, Muhammad's first wife, Khadija. Uh, The second is uh, Muhammad's daughter, Fatima. And the third is Aisha. Now, for the Shia Muslims, Fatima is the par excellence of women. Right, revered one. Right, and uh, there's a reason for that, and we'll get into that later. The Shia like Fatima. They don't like uh, Aisha. They don't like her. They do not. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They do not like Aisha. And for the Sunnis, uh, Aisha is the par excellence of woman. Now, why I like to, to look particularly at Aisha is because the radicals, the uh, fundamentalists that want to go back to a 7th century way of life, uh-huh. they reference her as the reason. Whoa. And the more moderate, uh, liberal, um, those that want to reinterpret Islam for more modernity and give more freedom and to women and uh, reinterpret some of the more uh, harsh text also point to Aisha as their mm. example. So she's so you a complicated have, figure. Yeah, you have Sunnis pointing to her as their example, you have uh-huh. radicals pointing to her as the example, and then you have uh, moderates pointing to her as the example. Now, is the primary text this, um, the Hagia, what did you call it, uh, Hagiography, or what did you... Uh, hagiography, hagiography, like the, the, that, that's just a term for when you're looking at a particular person in history, how it might be, um, uh-huh. you have to take it as, it, it might be exaggerated, right, but, hagiographic. Uh, but is that, uh, where is that found? Is like in, in the Hadiths, or what, like, how do where are they quoting her from, basically? So she is, she is cited all throughout the Hadith, uh-huh. and there is even a reference to her in the Quran. She's the only um, wait. She's the revelation. The well, it depends who you ask, right? If you ask the <laughs> the people if, that like her, if right? you ask the Sunnis, uh-huh. um, there is a revelation that is given on behalf of her in the Quran. Now, if you ask the Shiites, they will say, "No, that's not actually about Aisha. That's about someone else." Wait, wait. She's uh, she is a fulfillment of some kind of prophecy. You mean? No. What you have is uh, this whole this issue with the accusation of adultery that happened at the it, when I talked about that at the beginning of the podcast that she was accused of adultery right and the rumors started to fly and uh, what she ends up doing is leaving uh, Muhammad's home and going back to her father's home oh they, they because there was shame or something yes and she was she was furious she was furious with Muhammad oh so she was not like this victim, she was angry. She, she was, was angry. She refused to speak to him. She refused to speak to anyone. I mean, the, if there's one word I would describe Aisha as, it's fiery. Huh. And she was furious. And so she went back to her home and she refused to speak to uh, Muhammad. She refused to speak to anyone else. And the rumor started flying. And now one of Muhammad's companions at the time uh, said, you know, this isn't going to go away. Whether she did or didn't do it really isn't the point. Oh, it's, People, her, it's her honor right, or whatever. And his, uh-huh. his honor. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, there is only one prophet, but there are many women. And essentially... He was saying get rid of her. Get rid of her. Kill her or just, just exile her? her? Yeah, just get rid of her. Divorce okay. her. Um, 
I don't know any more details than that, how that would have looked. Um, but he, he, essentially, this was Ali. Now, if you know the history between the Sunni and the Shia, Ali eventually becomes, right, the, the split between Sunni and Shia. The whole split over Sunni and Shia comes back to the idea of should the leader of Islam be a direct descendant of Muhammad? Ali is a cousin of Muhammad, right. or should the leader of Islam be more democratic in that the person who leads Islam knows the most about Islam? Right. So the first leader of Islam ends up becoming Abu Bakr, which is Aisha's father, not mm-hmm. Ali. And so there's a contention there. Well, there's contention. There's a lot of speculation. This is the guy who's telling Muhammad when she's accused of adultery, you should leave her. So you can kind of guess where the conversation goes from the Shia when it comes to the election of the first caliph. What the Shia will argue is that Muhammad was really calling for Ali to come and to succeed him and to be with him on his deathbed, but Aisha didn't tell anybody because she wanted her father to become the caliph. So all all of that lies right there at the beginning. It's like a TV show. Well, I think they did make it into a novel. I don't think it did well because it didn't portray Aisha very well, and it it wasn't historical. It was more like a romantic novel. Uh Uh-huh. I think it was called Jewel. We'll have to look that up. Um, But I haven't read it, so I can't say. But I know it didn't. It wasn't received well in the in the Muslim world. (laughs) I can imagine. So that whole concept of you know that accusation of adultery right there at the beginning, and then also the election of her father, and then the questioning as to whether or not uh, she had held um, information back so that Ali would not become elected. That's all speculated. Now, is she um, the a kind of figure in history that uh, was vying for power? Eventually, not not there in the very beginnings. But wait, eventually. wait. Eventually, like after Muhammad had died, or right. okay. Well, even even when Muhammad was alive, she was controversial in the fact that um, she didn't speak well of the other wives. Huh. So she didn't play well with others. She did not. Like I said, she was feisty. Um, now, now, now I, I guess I can see her in two different ways. Either she's very independent, strong-headed, assertive, mm-hmm. right? Or she's a diva, spoiled, uh, because she's, you know, you said Abu Bakr, right? His mm, daughter father. is, uh, you know, wealthy and, you know, thinks that she's the queen kind of thing. Uh, what would you say from reading L- texts? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I mean, it's there. She's definitely strong-headed. Um, Muhammad's nickname for her was the little ruddy one. Um, and that she used to make the best food and that she was, I, I don't, you know, it's hard to say. I don't know if people would take offense to this as Muslims, but it does seem to be that, that she was his favorite wife. And I think that there's this debate going on in the Muslim world. When you have multiple wives, you have to treat them uh, the same. Right. It's not actually what all Muslims agree to. It's equitably that you need to treat them fairly. It doesn't necessarily mean you can't like one more than the other. But isn't it usually the first wife that's the, the, the most head? Favored. head right. Yeah. Most favored and respected mm-hmm. and the head over all the other wives. It, it can be. I, I don't know if you ever saw that show... Uh, Sister Wives. Did you ever see that? It's a TLC. I I know of it, but I've never seen it. It kind of had that same thing, and that that was looking at Mormons, but when you had multiple wives, the the first wife was kind of the head of the the pecking order within Mm. all the wives. But um, she didn't like... Khadija either and so Muhammad the first one right she now Khadija was dead and so um, Aisha used to speak pretty poorly of Khadija because he after would, her passing right because he would wow. reference her and how much he missed her and liked her and yeah she had some choice things to say about Khadija in, in front of Muhammad uh huh Interesting. So there was a very, uh, well, at least free 
really spoken relationship between Aisha and Muhammad. She says that uh, he never found fault with her once, never found fault with her. Now, there are other traditions that say that at one point in time, you know, she followed him out into the night and he turned around and she was spying on him and he turned around and he kind of shoved her. Mm. Um, it seemed like he had fault with her at that point, but <laughs> right. she, in her mind, yeah, he had never had any um, fault with her. She uh, would say that he would pray while she was in his presence, which it brings a really interesting kind of dynamic because women are supposed to nullify prayer. But yet huh. she says that Muhammad would pray even though she would be lying in between him and the mosque. And so she starts to say and do things that bring a lot of controversy over some of the other men that are leading in after Muhammad's death. Interesting. So it's almost like uh, she had um, access to an intimate Muhammad and uh, what he would actually do in practice behind closed doors that they don't have. And, but uh, at the same time, they don't necessarily trust her because of the power vying and vying for power and the, um, the issues there with the controversies. I would say that she was probably one of the most trusted of all of the companions of Muhammad. She was one of the most. like Trusted by who? By the By people? the entire Muslim community, that they would go to her and ask. Now, the negative things that come about come later. After the death of Muhammad... She was one of the most close. She was with him when he died. She, uh, he used to, um, uh, because he had multiple wives, he would treat them equitably and, and stay at a different home uh, with his wives. Towards the end of his life, when he's starting to become weak, um, he requests, uh, actually the wife, he doesn't request it, the wives actually suggest, why don't you just stay in the home of Aisha? Because they said they noticed that he began to ask what day it was and how long would it be till he would be with Aisha. They, clearly so they he all loved kinda, her. Yeah, they all kind of knew. Right, wow. and so they said it would be best if you uh, spend the last parts of your life with her. And so she was there. Um, she was definitely the closest uh, of the companions. Like, you know, the companions are usually referenced as men, but really she was one of the closest so the community actually is pretty small at this point, and they're still centered around Medina. Now, uh, they had already gone back and conquered Mecca, but Mecca at this point is still just some, a place where they go on pilgrimage. And so essentially you only have this primary mosque, and the community is rather cohesive, and uh, Aisha was pretty influential um, right there in the beginning. But you have to imagine, if the leader of the religion at that point, you know, Muslims would argue that Muhammad isn't the founder of the religion, but right. it's bigger than Muhammad. Right. She's the one, um, really, who, who kind of shifts everything and uh, argues that Muhammad is not the, the leader of the religion, that the religion is bigger than Muhammad. And she is one of the sort of chief spokespeople um, in the beginnings of Islam to kind of rally the community around her father and eventually the next caliph. And they saw her as so influential that the second caliph after her father, all of the, the, the wives of the prophets would get a stipend um, for living because they couldn't remarry, obviously. Who's gonna, oh, I see. You know? after, so, after he had passed away, right. taking care of the widows. Yes, taking care of the widows. And so one of the ways to take care of the widows is to remarry, but these are the widows of the prophet, and so that wouldn't happen, and so they had a stipend. The second caliph in Islam actually gave her um, double portion and so in that sense, that's how influential she was, that she got a double portion. Was she related to him, like Abu Bakr? No, this is Umar. This is a totally different caliph, but he uh, saw her influence and needed her to sort of be influential on his behalf, and so she gave him a double portion. Was that like a bribe? 
or just a place of honor. Like how do historians, you know, see that as? Because I think in today's world, right, we would be like, well, I need you to influence people for me. <laughs> here's, here's, here's extra money. Uh, I can't imagine that she would actually need money, though, correct? Because of the community? Like no. She would pretty, be pretty wealthy, I guess, right? Well, no. I mean, that's one of the misconceptions is that, you know, Muhammad wasn't wealthy and didn't pursue wealth necessarily. And so there isn't like this sort of wealth going on in the early Muslim communities. But, that's, that's something that's later. There isn't... Uh, you know, this abundance or decadence right. that happens. I guess I just compare him to like someone like Abraham or somebody, you know, that, that uh, continually was gaining wealth and, and influence and power over time. Well, and, and, and it's not that she was hard up. I mean, the, there was a pension a stipend for the wives. Sure. Hers was double. And uh, she would in turn speak highly of Umar. She would say hmm. nice things about him. And, and does it um, say that she genuinely actually liked him? It like just approved, says, approved of him, kind of thing. Is, is yeah. That's all. All we know is that um, he was. She was approving of his leadership and said that mm. he was a good leader, um, a good manager of the Muslim community, trustworthy. So, so when you said vying for power, what kind of power? Because she obviously couldn't be the caliph, right? Am I am I saying that right? right? Is that the, as a woman she couldn't be the caliph? Maybe. So far as I can tell, yeah, that wouldn't have been <laughs> wouldn't have been an option. Right. So vying for power would even be that just the fact that she that he recognizes her influence and. Uh, needs her right is, is a powerful and her place. endorsement her endorsement right. of him because the third caliph who's elected does not have that relationship with her what like he didn't uh, she didn't like him or he didn't like her or the third caliph uthman reduced her pension to that of everyone else's oh. and they did not have the mutual sort of symbiotic relationship that umar and aisha had where he you know, took care of her, and she said nice things about him. Uthman was a little bit different, and uh, he paid the price for it, actually. Oh, so it did affect him. Absolutely. He's eventually assassinated. And no. before his assassination, he appeals to Aisha. Oh, because he knew that uh, there was unrest, people didn't like him? Exactly. And wow. so he, he did not like the favoritism shown to Aisha, but he definitely was a man of favoritism because he began to promote his own sort of kinship relationships and to places of power and so uh, he he had some issues with nepotism and gave uh you know his own uh, relatives positions of power which Aisha didn't like and wait so, so are you, do we know if Aisha did uh, ever use her influence to help her relatives I mean besides her father obviously um, which is it kind of in in the dark we don't really know but oh, uh, it's coming it's coming okay yeah <laughs> Okay, so this Caliph Uthman uh, would would promote his own family to prominent positions, and uh, he, Aisha didn't like this. And so one of the uh, governors of the, the Muslim community that had been appointed by the previous Caliph um, accused this new Caliph, Uthman, of misappropriating some of the funds. Oh. And uh, while he, when he does this, he's actually, he's beaten and flogged in the mosque and, and treated unjustly, according to Aisha, and she, she speaks out against it. Okay, so when this guy speaks out, right, did he get flogged publicly? Yes. Wow, so it brought a lot of shame on this guy. And, Absolutely. But, and Aisha, she, she, she seems like she's an untouchable character. Absolutely. Well, she does something fantastic. At this okay, point, what does she do? She grabs a shirt and a pair of sandals 
and a comb. And she says, How soon indeed have you forgotten the practices or the way of your prophet? And these hair and this shirt and this sandal have not even yet perished. And she is calling out the current caliph, Uthman, for his treatment of somebody that was appointed as one of the Muslim governors. So you can imagine this young woman in her early 20s calling out the leader of the entire Muslim community because of his treatment of this one guy and being flogged in the mosque. Wow. All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where, if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you You want to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you, bringing this show to the world, then email us and let us know. Yikes. So again, what a, what a cool woman. Again, this third caliph, Uthman, uh, promotes his, uh, his own brother as a governor. And uh, again, there's an issue over the use of money. And the treasurer of that area calls out the governor and basically says, you know, you're misusing the money. Um, and goes to the caliph and says, your brother is misusing the money. And the caliph kind of responds to him, don't forget who you're the treasurer for. You know, a little bit of a... <laughs> but he doesn't go as far as flogging him in the mosque. <laughs> well, uh, eventually they, they get into a little bit more of, a, of an argument, and he is uh, beaten and immediately removed from the mosque as well. Wow. Yeah, he, he's beaten and his ribs are broken, and Aisha apparently witnesses the whole thing, and uh, she wastes no time in uh, rebuking him publicly. Again, one of the early biographers actually says that she spoke and she said plenty. <laughs> I like I like that phrasing. Okay, so uh, was she an eloquent type speaker? Like she, you said, she had a lot of influence. Was that because of her public speaking, like her ability to to garner like praise from the crowd, kind of thing? What? So again, one of the early biographers says that they had heard the speeches of Muhammad, they had heard the speeches of Umar, they had heard the speeches of Uthman, and they had heard the speeches of Abu Bakr, and they had heard the speeches of Ali. So these are the first five leaders of Islam, Muhammad, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali. And he said that he had never heard anyone be able to rally a crowd so well as the young Aisha. Wow. So she was this, uh, well, I think her, her, the stories kind of lend herself to legend. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, just to stand up against injustice, and I'm assuming she was beautiful. Um, I don't know about the arranged marriage. Was that uh, just political, or would there have to be some sort of beauty involved because, uh, you know, Muhammad is still a man. I mean, he's marrying these women, so... I think she was just a unique character of history. I mean, you you come across these people that have this uncanny ability to influence, and Uh she was one of them. Um, you know, there's, it's no exaggeration to say that she was the favorite wife for probably a reason. And she would even challenge, uh, Muhammad on some of the things that he would say. Um, even some of the revelations he would get, she would challenge as to whether or not it was accurate or if it was for wow. his own. Yeah. She just was a, yeah, she, she when, spoke and she said plenty. When you, when you said she's the ruddy one, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, me, I'm a father, you're a father. You know, we have these, these daughters and not that we play favorites, but you know, even though when our, our children are precocious, you know, just like crazy out loud, you know, just, you know, have these opinions and it just kind of draws affection from my heart, you know, and I'm just like, you know, they, they can really do no wrong, even though they drive me crazy. 
and I just kind of reminds me of Muhammad, obviously not as a child, but uh, as his wife. He looks his wife and says, "Oh, she's the one that's a troublemaker, but I love her for it," kind of thing. Yes, and and actually, he says two thirds of the religion can you take from her, which is a very interesting comment because at this point in time, there's argument right as to whether or not women had any freedom, any power, and that they were oppressed. But yet, it seems Aisha was very influential, not just in political activity, but also in the religion, because even there in the beginning, when she. Uh, you know, this guy gets beaten, she stands up and she says something. Uthman responds to her, and it's a really intense accusation, and this accusation changes everything. His accusation is, what do you have to do with this? Shouldn't you be remaining within the home? (laughs) What does she say? I'm excited. No, no, she, she does not respond. She says nothing. She goes back to her home, but the problem is... There was already such a riot building because uh-huh. of Uthman and some of the decisions he was making about his brother being governor and his own family members being promoted to these prominent positions, and there's distrust, and people don't like him. And all of a sudden, now there's a movement to assassinate this guy from different people oh. in the community, different Muslims, and particularly more radical Muslims that don't trust Uthman and think that he should be uh, assassinated and, and do you connect, a coup a coup is coming do you connect that to the the way he treated Aisha I don't know that I would say it's the way he treated Aisha I think it was the way he treated the other Muslims and Aisha's response I think people saw Aisha's response of holding up uh, Muhammad's uh, belongings and saying this is not the way you should be leading I think um you know, Aisha calling him out in the way that he uh beat the other guy and right. he, he just lost favor with the people wow that's pretty cool so what ends up happening is uh, they ask her um, to lead the charge to kill the guy. Whoa. But you, but you just said like a few minutes before that he actually cried out to her. Uthman cried out to her to, for help or something. Because, so so they, they proposed it to her. Right. Well, eventually there's accusations that Uthman is att- going to attempt to kill her younger brother. Oh, is he is he person of power too? Well, I mean, he's Abu Bakr's son. So, oh, I see. You know, there's right. definitely a potential for power there, right. and so um, this whole thing just stirs, and the Muslim community gets really angry with Uthman. He's lost favor. Now he's going to kill Aisha's brother, and so they're like, "That's it. He's done. A coup is coming," and she is asked to lead the coup. Now he hears that she's supposed to lead the coup, so he goes to her and actually asks for her help and to speak to the Muslim community and to calm them down because he's afraid they're going to come and they're going to kill me. And so uh, they go to her, they say, will you lead the coup? And she says, no. Her response is, uh, Allah forbid that I should command the shedding of the blood of Muslims by killing their imam. And so she says, no, I'll have no part of it. He hears that she refuses to be a part of it, and then he goes to her and basically says, uh, can we make amends here? They're going to kill me. There's a coup coming. And her response is uh, real pithy. You'll, you'll get a kick out of this. Basically, she, he goes to her and says, will you help turn the community back to my side? They're going to kill me. Um, would you please stay here in Medina and, and help you know, bring this all, bring peace? And she says, I have sweated and packing, and I have already closed my bags. I cannot stay. <laughs> So basically, she's saying, I'm leaving you to your fate. She says, I'm out. Wow. I'm out. She's going on Hajj. She's going to Mecca. And so she returns to Mecca, and uh, Uthman is murdered. uh, While she's gone. In in Medina, while she's gone. And Ali becomes the 
next caliph, who is the one that the Shiites believe should have always been the caliph. Wait, from the very beginning? From the very beginning. Now, huh. go back. Let's, uh, let's rewind the film here. Ali and Aisha have a history. Ali is the one that was telling Accused. Muhammad right there in and, the beginning, said, there are many women. There is only one prophet. Get rid of her. So while she is and in Mecca, Aisha knows this. Oh yeah. Oh wow. While she is in Mecca, I mean, rumors were pretty, right. pretty small community. <laughs> yeah. yeah, community just talks and yeah. Oh, she says why she's in. She learns about this while she's in Mecca on Hajj, and she says, "I did not think things would go this way. I think she was under the impression they would elect her younger brother, oh. and so she was not pleased that one he was murdered and two that Ali took over, and so she." <laughs> She delivers a speech promising to avenge the blood of the wrongly murdered Uthman by Whoa. killing Ali. Because she's going to say that Ali arranged for his assassination. Indeed. Even though, no, I mean, this was the, well, there's debate of history. I don't really right, know right, who, right. But the, the Muslim community uh, rallies around her and she basically gives this speech and she says, you know, Uthman was wrongly murdered. Um, and that we need to go and we need to go in and we need to depose Ali as the new caliph and we need to get rid of him and take the Muslim community back from Ali. So he gets elected, she gets back, she starts this huge campaign against him and people are following her against Ali. He must be sweating bullets. Well, she leads an army and it's called, the, it's called the Battle of the Camel and she leads an army. This is in 656... Uh, not sure how old that would make her there at that point. 40s, something yeah. like that, right? So she, she leaves, leads an army. She's outnumbered. Um, she's really no match. And uh, eventually they realize that she is there in the middle rallying troops onto battle on a camel, essentially calling out in martial poetry to fight in the cause of Allah against these uh, their fellow Muslims. This is a civil war. And as she's doing this, Ali sees that the battle is kind of centering around her, and so he orders troops to go out and to hamstring the camel. Okay. So they do, and she comes down, and, uh, you know, she, while she's out on the battlefield, though, I mean, one of the things that she says is, oh, oh, sons of, uh, oh, sons of Allah, have endurance. Remember Allah and the Most High in reckoning. And so that she just began to keep calling out in, in what they called martial poetry. And so they eventually, they hamstring the camel, and she asks uh, Ali, basically, you have conquered, show forbearance, show mercy. And so he does. He probably makes one of the wisest decisions at that point in time in the Muslim community. If he had killed her, I think it would have gone on. Right, martyr. Right, but she, he shows forbearance, and then uh, because he does, she comes alongside and begins to reunite the Muslim community. Huh. But before doing so, his his comments to her were, you should have been in the home. And so you can imagine how Aisha can become the rallying cry for moderate Muslims that want to reinterpret and create uh, more opportunities for Muslim women. And you can imagine how uh, Aisha can become the rallying cry for a Muslim radical that said, if she had just stayed in the home, we never would have had the civil war to begin with. Wow, that's she's an interesting lady. I think what's what's even more interesting though is uh, what would be the reasons behind her rallying behind Ali after oh, after the fact. Except sa- maybe save her life, right? Right, human. I mean, it's just self preservation. But sure. it just doesn't seem like she's. 
Well, that uh, kind of lady. Right, right, right. That she's just going to, you know, she's very idealistic and she she stands up for, but maybe it's because she's never ever had to suffer. Well, it could be that she knew that she had lost and maybe she had plans to do something else that just never came to fruition. Who knows? Nobody really knows why she did what she did. Maybe she really wanted to unify the Muslim community. Right. No one knows for certain, but we do know that at that point in time, she kind of has a lot of influence in the religious scene. Um, she's able to give a lot of hadith, like the the sayings of Muhammad. She's known as one of the most uh, well-known authenticators of hadith. So somebody would give a hadith and they would say, Aisha, is that accurate? Really? They would look to her to Absolutely. do that? Absolutely, yeah. She's credited with over 2,000 hadith, um, and over 1,000 of those are direct quotes um, of uh, Prophet Muhammad. So she is very influential. Um, they say that her hadith transmission accounts for about 15% of Sharia law in the ways in which the law happens um, based on her hadith. So she, she was very influential in uh, development of Islamic law, very influential in the development of the early understandings of uh, theology. Um, hmm. She just had a huge role. Which is the group that uh, didn't like her? Uh, well, the Shiites didn't like her because they thought she had jockeyed for her father to have position over Ali. And so today, whenever you bring up something about Aisha, um, what would their view be of what you just said about how she influenced um, you know, the Hadiths and all that kind of stuff? Would they agree, disagree? Well, I don't know if they would disagree. I think they would probably just say that she's not, that those parts of the Hadith aren't as important as the Sunnis say they so are. So kind of so de-emphasize they, they her. Yeah, they look at different aspects of different uh, Hadith between the two different relig- uh, sects of the religion. Right. So, so are, are, uh, are people successful, are Muslims successful in uh, using her for a rallying cry to help women? Yes, some are. Not all. Um, some will quote back to her and say she is the par excellence. She is the favorite wife of Muhammad. She, Muhammad never found fault with her, and so we should use her as an example. Mm. And she clearly was involved politically. Um, she was involved uh, religiously. Um, she would settle disputes. Um, I mean, just the amount of things that she was able to do and even correcting some hadith and people would look to her as being sort of the, the final say over whether or not Muhammad did or did not say something was pretty influential. And I think a lot of way, in a lot of ways she had more influence than a lot of Muslim women have today. And they can point back to her. Actually a lot more influence than Muslim men too. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's cool. So, that's a fascinating account. Yeah. So, you know, and in the end, I think one of the things we have to realize is that, um, She also would even do Quranic exegesis. She would uh, look at things that people would say in Hadith, and then she would use the Quran to correct things that they did not get right in the Hadith. And so there there was just so much influence that she had both in religion uh, and politics and also the the Muslim community that we have to at least consider um, she is somebody, a historical figure that we need to look to and say, okay, is there a place within Islam for women to have more authority, more rights? And I think the answer is yes, it lies in Aisha. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs>